0: Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. With mixed market bet builders, in-play betting, and a selection of welcome offers, make sure your Premier League is spent with BetVictor's Premier Betting app, 18 Plus org.
1: NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got
0: easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Erin Cuthbert, footballer for Chelsea and the Scotland national team, and you're listening to the Blue Day podcast.
0: Fellow Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day Podcast, I am delighted to welcome this individual on the show today. He is a man who 50 years ago was part of the 1971 Cup Winners' Cup Triumph against Real Madrid. Plus, he made 189 appearances for the club, scoring 14 goals. He is truly a Chelsea icon. Here is Alan Hudson. Alan, welcome to the Blue Day Podcast. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good, Cape. I'm uh... Like everybody else, uh, interested in all the what's going on, you know. <laughs> oh. finding it, I'm finding it very... I'm writing a book at the moment. Uh, I started writing a book at the beginning of the season about Frank Lampard's first season as Chelsea manager because I don't know if you know, I helped get him to the club when he was at West Ham. Uh, he was going to sign for Leeds and I talked to his dad about it. But, that aside, I was going to write about Frank, and when he when he was sacked, I was changed it to the pod the, the year of the lockdown. So it's a kind of a diary thing. So it's I've got to keep up to date with everything.
0: Oh, good. I'll be I'll be looking forward to uh, reading that one day. Oh, well, I'll send you when I have got your email. Just I'll send you bits and pieces over. Ah, oh, fantastic, fantastic. Um, Alan, it is truly a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, obviously to talk about Chelsea, of course, and obviously with things that have happened quite recently as well, you know, hopefully if we do have time, we might touch upon it. But this is to do with obviously your career at Chelsea and it's been quite a fascinating career. But I want to take you all the way back to the very beginning, if I can. Who influenced you to become a professional footballer? Uh,
1: I would would never have been a professional footballer if it wasn't for my father. I was obviously the best player around these parts in Chelsea in in, uh, in and around the world's end. Football before me around here was rife with good players. We had some fabulous players before me and while I was around. And it, it's just, uh, I always kind of, I'm not very happy that Chelsea Football Club never really found the, the wealth of talent there was around here. I played with many a players where better in the streets here than I did uh, throughout the country. So that was a bit disappointing. But yeah, my father was from Fulham. He was a Fulham supporter. He took me to Fulham one night and asked if I could go train him when I was about 13. And uh, I said he's too small. My dad said, well, in the history, he said he will grow. Uh, uh, and when he does grow, he's going to become a footballer. You don't know what you're going to miss. And it, so he walked me through the gates at Stanford Bridge and handed me over to Chelsea. So that's how it all began on a Tuesday and Thursday night with Tommy Docherty, uh, Frank Blunston, Tommy Harmer and most of the Chelsea first team. So I knew all the first team before I actually got
0: in the team, which was a head start. That must have been helpful for you when it came to once you signed your forms for Chelsea and you made your debut because you was quite familiar with the surroundings at Chelsea in the first place.
1: Yes. Yeah, it it did. It helped me. But just uh, in my second year of apprenticeship, I had uh, uh, the the strangest injury, which hindered me throughout my school days and playing for West London and whatever. It was called the Osgood Slater's disease. And, how incredible! You know, I, I was, and I always say I was very fortunate that I never got the osgood Hutchinson disease, because then I would never been out of play. I'd have been drunk all the time, you know. Uh, but um, so that put me out for about six months, and I couldn't, I couldn't even run on it. So uh, the 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 great insight of Tommy Docker, he got me put me on dressing room duty for six months. I was cleaning the boots and this that. And that. So I got to know all the players very well. But they just—they knew I. They'd seen me play as an apprentice, so they knew I could play. But the the new players coming to the team thought I was just a boot boy, you know. So uh, so it was it was uh, a weird kind of it was a weird setup at that time. And then I only had when when they passed me fit with my knee injury. It said that the knee knee bone had fused. Uh, I only had one, a couple, one game at QPR in Mike Keane's testimonial to show Dave Sexton I was as good as what they said I was. So I passed that test in
0: flying colours, and the rest history. You made your debut for the club aged 17 back in 1969. It sounds on paper a unforgettable game, but the result weren't great for Chelsea. It was a five nil loss to Southampton. Do you have much memories of your debut for Chelsea? Uh, I can't remember too much of the ninety
1: minutes. I only know that um, I played against my 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 boss in Seattle was Jimmy Gabriel, who played right half that day for Southampton. I know he went over the top to me, uh, and uh, I know we got beat five nil. But we were very lucky to get away with five. <laughs> if it would have been fifteen, it would have been a fair reflection because uh, all our best players weren't playing; they were caught in the the restaurant the day before drinking and sex and threw them out and brought me in in fact i shouldn't have played because i wasn't even fit to play for the reserves but i didn't want to miss this opportunity and i shot myself in the foot really but they had a very very good team they had ron davis and martin chivers and mick shannon and great great
0: forwards and they they run riot on this day just for me they must have impressed you then. You mentioned about the incident that involved a few Chelsea players and the manager. Obviously, you being a, a young player at that at that time, what was going through your mind at this point, knowing that you're part of the club and then you're seeing established names pretty much never playing for the club again because of this infamous incident?
1: Uh... Well, it wasn't really that. It, I, I don't know what would have happened to, in, under today's circumstances when they're these players have broke protocol on COVID uh, because we only had 15, 16 players in them days. You know, they didn't have a roster like today. And they were our best players. Peter Osgood was the best centre forward in the in country, if not Europe, if not the world at that time. Charlie Cook, he, he was one of them. Tommy Baldwin, you know. Uh, and they repeated the history. Repeated itself when they did it again against Real Madrid the day before. They went out and got drunk before that game. So this was nothing new. But then I would, but then I was experiencing. I I I didn't go with them on that day. But um, no, I think my biggest pro, my, the, the biggest lesson I did learn w- was when they signed Charlie Cook. I realized I, I had to improve my my. Technique. I was still, I was a very good technical player. My father see to that, but I knew that
0: the level of Charlie's play was right up there. You know, what was he like as a footballer when you sort of saw him live, you know, even saw him at training?
1: Well, Charlie was a bit of an, and I, I, would, I would call him an enigma because hmm. he was one of those players that didn't really have a position he wasn't a midfield player and he wasn't a winger as such. He was one of those players that, you know, I would... I would uh, Dave Sexton once played him behind the strikers and I would give Charlie, Charlie a, a young Charlie Cook, the, the, the kind of license to, to roam, you know, because he could terrorise people with his... He had incredible ability. Uh, and I would say in them days, had he not met Tommy Baldwin and been down the King's Road, Four nights a week, I think he would have probably been, you know, he was the closest thing to George Best at that time. You know, the incredible ability was along those lines. Mm. Charlie was a phenomenal player. Mm. Uh, and I heard the other day that he, he told my friend that I didn't rate him as a player, which was quite funny. Uh,
0: because that couldn't be further from the truth. The next season, sixty-nine seventy season, excuse me, you became an important member of the team. You was you were was, was racking up appearances, you was playing pretty much week in, week out. How pleased was you at this moment that you was progressing well as a footballer and being pretty much one, one of the first names on the team sheet? Well, I, 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 I wouldn't say I was Keith, really. I, I think I was...
1: I found it very difficult to fitness wise, I had to knew no, I had to up my game fitness wise. I found it uh I always believe if you wanna be up there with the best you've got to be you know up there. You gotta I had to raise my fitness levels, no doubt, because I had to do the running of people like Osgood. You know, when you're playing with Osgood you have to do a lot more running because uh he was he was that superb that you had to make sure that you was, you know, on your metal all the time and I, I was really kind of I grew into myself, and I I I, I was brought up as an inside forward, but uh, the game was changing then. Inside forwards were coming extinct, uh, and whereas he they saw me as uh, a player to play in midfield with John Hollins, he pushed Charlie out right on the white, which kind of it was a bit of a gamble, but it, it paid off in 1970.
0: In 1970 as well against Derby, you scored your first goal for the club. That must have been a a huge relief for you, knowing that you you was able to break your sort of duck and you was now part of an important time at Chelsea. Now you was getting in amongst the goals. Well, I
1: I wouldn't say I was anywhere near Frank Lampard, but
0: uh, (laughs) I think
1: Frank Frank would have been quite proud of the one I scored at Derby. It was a 25-yard volley, but... For those who go back that long, they will know that Brian Clough used to have tiny goalkeepers. They're only about five foot eight. So I, I, I did have the savvy to try this volley, and it worked. But uh, it was an incredible match. I think we were two new up with about eight, ten minutes to go, and we drew two two. But it, it was a most wonderful experience, and uh, I didn't really know that I was going into uh, the baseball grounds with. You know the the great Brian Clough and stuff like that it was I was too young to embrace it all, and and in my later years I came across across Clough and uh, but I was very I was too I was very young as, as many young players would tell you it does go over your head uh, it takes a while to sink in and I think by the time I got to Athens I was
0: felt that I'd arrived you know. Mm-hmm. 1970 will forever be remembered by a large sections of Chelsea supporters of the year we won the FA Cup. You played a pivotal role in the earlier rounds that led up to the final. When did the belief begin in the squad that this year could be the year that we could win a trophy? Because the league-wise, we was doing okay at that point. You know, we was playing some good football. We had good players. Was there a belief that finally we could end up winning a trophy?
1: Well, I, it was my first season and um, I, um, <laughs> incredibly, we finished third in the league and we never even looked at the league table. It was, um, we never looked at, we, I think we kind of, I'll tell you the moment when we actually won the, the cup, I've been writing about this morning, uh, was when we went up to Burnley for the fourth round and they were about a quarter of an hour from knocking us out. And uh, Peter Osgood wasn't playing. We missed dramatically when he wasn't playing. And uh, Peter Houseman came up with a stunner. Mm. He, he he was a hero of 1970, Peter Houseman. That was his year. And uh, he scored in Wembley. He scored two goals at Burnley that night. It got us right off the hook. We went into it, and I think we won the FA Cup at Burnley that night. I think we believed, being so close to getting knocked out, that. We'd go on and win it, and as luck would have it, we we got all our draws in London. they were against Crystal Palace and QPR, uh, and it seemed that every game we played in London, we were getting closer to Wembley because when we got to QPR, we could see the Wembley flood floodlight. So you know, it was it, we were destined to get there, I think. And and then obviously uh, avoiding Leeds in the semi final, and drawing Watford, and uh, I was a big Elton John fan, and. I later told I had I later told Elton John about that match. Uh, I got to meet him a couple of times, and he, you know, on his debut, his debut at Wembley. I just played against West Germany, and he said to me, Alan, what's it like to play at Wembley?" And I was, he was playing there the following day on my birthday, and I said, "Well, you better be good," I said, because it's my birthday. And he, he said, "Well, what's it like?" I said, "Elton, I think you're good enough." I was his biggest fan, so. There was that was so that year was kind of fantastic, you know. Elton John and uh, the King's Road uh, was the place was uh, electric, wasn't it? It was unbelievable. It was was the greatest year, Keith. It's funny you should do this. It was the greatest year.
0: Unfortunately for the final, you was injured. Um, It was yourself. John Boyle was unfortunately ruled out for the final. What was going through your mind at, at this stage? Was you know because again you played. Pretty much all the rounds leading up to it. You mentioned the Watford semi-final. You picked up a bad injury that pretty much ruled you out for the for that for the rest of the season. You know, psychologically, that must have really affected you, or was you sort of more confident that you can get over the injury and there would be more occasions where Chelsea would be in finals. No, I, th- I think that was the worst time.
1: That was the lowest part uh, part of my uh, to be so high. I know you're playing against the best team in England, Leeds, or the toughest team, uh, and on the Easter Monday, I went down a hole at West Brom, and and as soon as I went down, I knew my ankle, I heard it tear, I knew I wouldn't play, and but I didn't, it was a double whammy, really, because I missed the Mexico World Cup as well, so uh, it was, I, I kind of hit, everybody knows me for being a good socialiser, but I hit a different kind of levels drinking then I was I was thinking more for depression than anything else and that led to a lot of trouble with the manager but as luck would have it when we got into Europe it was we came alive again didn't we we were a great cup team a fantastic cup team I thought we was going to regain retain the FA cup and I thought we were going to retain the European Cup with this cup we were that good in cups we had the big match players you know Cook on one side and Osgood there, you know, um and I was I was improving my game, I was I was getting stronger.
0: With the victory against Leeds United um I over over two games with Webb scoring the winner at Old Trafford, looking back on it now, how significant was that for the history of Chelsea if you look at it for at this moment in time and also for you personally being part of that team? With the likes of Peter Hausman and Osgood and Charlie Cook to be part of a, you know, a decent side at that point. Well, I think
1: um, it wasn't it wasn't so much the, the David had uh, David Webb uh, goal off his shoulder, but he don't mind me saying, but it, it was the Peter Osgood goal that that gave us the belief. The fantastic run by Charlie Cook, the fantastic pass for Peter Osgood, and he just came in and. I remember six or seven Leeds defenders standing there like that it was in Madame Two you know, that was it was fantastic and that was the goal that started it all because had had we not had, had we not scored then, I think Leeds would have went on to win. Uh but Osgood come up with this. And Charlie come up with his fantastic pass, like a Tiger Woods, you know, one of his chips, it was incredible. And uh obviously had we not won that we wouldn't have Won the Cup Winners' Cup, so we were the first team. We broke new ground, didn't we? We were the first team to win an FA Cup and the first team to win the Cup Winners' Cup. And um, I hope you hope you don't mind me saying on your show, Kiva. Sometimes I have to remind the people of the club of this. I was the most local player of all time, and uh, I don't I don't think we get enough recognition for that, especially the John Dempseys of our team, the Marvin Hinton's, the John Boyles. I'm a great. Unsung hero, man. Uh, you know, the Peter Housemans, bless him. Um, you know, that was a... We were kind of a makeshift team. We threw, threw all these lads in together. And a lot of people tend to forget that we were, we were all British. You know, the foreigners then were the, the Scottish, wasn't they? And, you know, we had Charlie and Eddie. You uh, know, t- Eddie was probably the best left back in the world at one time. Charlie, when he was on his game, was as good as anybody. So we had a wonderful mixture. And we were going to go on to greater things. If they hadn't built that stand, we would have went on to greater
0: things. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, I'd like to ask you about that later on. But the next season, we played in the, it's called the Community Shield now, but it was called the Charity Shield. We lost to Everton. But that season, as you say, we were in Europe. Uh, the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup. You made your European debut against Aris Salonica. Do you remember sort of that, that particular game well? Because you played in both legs. We won the return leg five-one uh, to progress. But do you remember that game well? The one thing I remember about the the, the game, I've
1: still got the picture of it of the standing outside of the aeroplane, and I've got I'm the only one with a duty-free bag with the bottle of vodka in it, I think. <laughs> uh, uh, but I remember, I remember us, and I, I, the only thing I remember about the game was Peter Osgood missed the penalty, I believe. I remember him going up to take the penalty and they was, these Greeks was, Cypriots are spitting at him and everything there. They were terrible, you know? And I thought, I couldn't work it out. I thought, what are you doing? You, you know, I couldn't work it out why, why they were being like this because they didn't realize that they had to come back to the bridge that's right you no, know? yeah. and they didn't realize what was waiting for them in the second leg, and we were going <laughs> we were going to give them more than what they give us over there, trust me, uh so to come out there away from there in our first away trip, one all uh under the circumstances was a fantastic result.
0: What was Stamford Bridge like to play in on European nights? Because people talked about how Stamford Bridge is quite an intimidating atmosphere at times, depending on who we're playing on European nights. But obviously, back in the 70s, it must have been completely and utterly different. So just sort of describe to the listeners that perhaps wasn't going to Stamford Bridge in the 70s, what kind of atmosphere it was and how you know did it obviously positively affect your game as well as the players? Well, it's funny that you touch on
1: that because um, it was the European nights that we really come into our own because the dog track was a hindrance. <laughs> we know if we had the if we had Chelsea's ground today, we would have won the league because they're worth ten points. And with the shed that we had uh, then, uh, but that dog track was a massive hindrance to us. And on the Wednesday night against Bruges and. CSKA and Man City. You couldn't see the dog track because it was dark and the floodlights were on, and and that was that was in our favour. It worked in our favour, and uh, and the fans were unbelievable. I remember it was electric. But having said that, I remember the fans two or three years before that against Roma, when Terry Venable scored the hat trick, and it was a most incredible night. You know, Stamford Bridge football was then, wasn't it? It was. You know the most incredible scenes. You know uh, the excitement in 1970 on the way to the final. And as I said, I thought we was going to relive that and do it again. But we got
0: how uh, we got knocked out the, the following season was just incredible. We reached the final after beating Manchester City. What was your feelings after this, knowing that? The final would be against Real Madrid, and it would be such a, a huge game for the club and for the players involved. Um, the, 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 the wonderful thing about the game
1: then is that, unlike today, where they got Sky TV and all these other channels, and we never had that, so we never knew who we were playing against. We didn't know who, what players they had. I said to somebody yesterday, and I wrote about it yesterday, that we never even looked at the other semi-final. Unlike when Manchester United played Leeds in the FA Cup, we knew all their players, so it didn't matter. We knew what we were facing. But when we walked out in Athens against Real Madrid, we had no idea about good they were. Nobody had gone and seen them play. There was no team talk about them. We just basically went out there and said, look, we were so confident of winning. It was incredible. You know, um, against a team with such a, an incredible reputation, uh, and they had a they had a player called Piri in midfield who was one of the greatest players you've ever seen. You know, um, and as, uh, as a little bit of good fortune happened to us that night, he he had a, he must have busted his arm and he played the second leg in us at his arm in a sling, which was me and Charlie looked at each other and we was quite happy.
0: <laughs> that certainly wouldn't happen now. <laughs> that certainly would not happen. Well, now.
1: you you wouldn't play on a Wednesday and a Friday.
0: That wouldn't happen now. No, no, absolutely not. Um it took two games to beat Real Madrid as you said in in the Cup Winners' Cup. I just have a couple of questions to sort of cover this. Were you confident personally of beating Real Madrid? And do you remember when you was told that you was going to be in the squad for these games? Um yeah I knew I was going to be playing uh, there wasn't a problem
1: there. I got a knock in the first game. I was a bit concerned that Dave might want to leave me out the second game, but I never told him how bad the knock was <laughs> um but um no, I think we i think i think once we got past Manchester City, we knew we'd beat them. They wasn't the team of old uh and we we were just playing so well in the cups at that time, and um, of course we had Osgood. We all, always knew with Osgood that we could score wherever we went. Uh, he's although he's a king of sand, he was a king of Stamford Bridge. People the, for younger viewers of Chelsea supporters, you know, they they rave about centre forwards. They've seen it over the past few years, but this fellow was the absolute greatest, you know. Uh, and uh, he had the one thing that all footballers need, that unbelievable self-belief and confidence in himself. You know, I always imagine him playing up front with Eden Hazard and thinking the, how they would terrorise defenders. You
0: know? That'd be a good That'd combination.
1: Be... Well, that was how good Osgood was. He was along them lines, you know, uh, and I can't pay him any greater compliment. Would you say
0: he's the best striker Chelsea has ever had?
1: I would. I, he's the best centre-forward I've ever seen, actually. Mm. Uh, and that's going some somewhat. Uh, and I've seen some some wonderful... I, I even think in 1970, had Alf played him, he would have got in the Brazil team easily. I think he was as good as Tosteo. Pelé would have loved playing against him. I think he was that good. Uh, really, really, really. And uh, I think the closest thing to him that I've ever seen would be a big match player, would be Drogba when it comes to big matches, Drogba uh, come alive. Um, I see him sometimes playing league matches and I, I thought, I'm not too sure about this fellow. And then all of a sudden, when it comes to the big matches, I mean, especially when he played against Arsenal, you know, the Arsenal were petrified of him, weren't they? You know, he, That's right. Was, That's right. They put his they put his name on the score sheet before they went out. Um, <laughs> it was that good, Drogba, in big matches. And that was, he reminded me, it wasn't like Osgood, but he he had that great you know the close to arrogance uh, so drug bar would would be right
0: up there with osgood yeah in regards to the cup winners cup triumph against madrid what was going through your mind at the final whistle and looking back now where does this victory rank in your list of accomplishments in football
1: well i never i, I never really I don't think any of us knew at that time how how big it was. That we didn't really realise it was the first European trophy we'd ever won. Happened so quickly. Uh, within eighteen months, I'd gone from just about getting in the team to now winning the FA Cup, although I didn't play, and now having a Cup Winners' Cup medal. And really, you know, you mentioned we we mentioned earlier on about the stand. Had it not been for the stand. You know, I do know personally that George Best wanted to come to us. And had we had a manager that would have bought George Best, we would have had to make a ground that held 200,000 people. So the future was, I mean, I left when I was 22, 23. They sold me. And Peter Osgood wasn't even at his best. He was 26, 27. It was so much more to come from us too and and to build a team around. And uh, that was a
0: hurtful thing about it We'll touch on that quite soon, actually, because I, I do want to get your thoughts on what happened in 1974. But the season after the 71-72, there was one game that stood out when I was doing my research. It was in a, the Cup Winners' Cup. Um, we won a game 13-0 at Stamford Bridge. Um, I've actually seen the programme. Um, somebody did show me what the other day, actually, when I was mentioning about this podcast. Um, I'm not going to pronounce the name because I'll end up getting it wrong, but... It was 21-0 on aggregate over, over two games. Yeah. And that must have been sort of a, one of the fascinating games. Um, if For those that would like to know what the name of the club is, find out on, on YouTube. And there might be highlights on it. There, obviously, you can find the programme on eBay. But do you remember much about that particular game? Because it is in the record books as being one of Chelsea's highest ever wins in history. Well, they were from Luxembourg, wasn't they? That's um, right.
1: And... Um... I've, felt, I've said to people that um, I, was, I, was, I was disappointed with Chelsea again. They should have, they should have um, invited that team back for a dinner some years you know, afterwards because I've never t- seen a team uh, so deflated and beaten or tried right to the end, to the final whistle, what they must have told their grandchildren years later. But they were fantastic sports you know they were bank they were bankers bakers whatever all over luxembourg i think there might have been three brothers in the seat in the team i heard uh but they were just you know there was not i i know what we would have been like if we were 3 0 down away ron harris and eddie McCready would be lumping people but they didn't even try to kick it you know kick their way out of trouble or nothing they 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 just enjoyed it as you know, and I felt really sad for them. and But uh, at the same time, as I say, I, if I would have been the chairman of the football club, I would have invited them back and said thank you for for being so sporting about it. They, they took it on the chin and, uh, you know, they walked off and they were proud to have played at the bridge. And I think that's the wonderful thing about football.
0: That would you have know, been a nice touch, to be you fair. You know, these,
1: like, these yeah. Luxembourg, the people from Luxembourg, they, they would never, ever, that would never happen again. There eleven, twelve 11, 12 people come over from Luxembourg and were out on the field that night, and that was an unbelievable memory for them. Forget the score, it was immaterial. Osgood wanted to break the record, and he broke it. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And so, you know, so it was, they were a great part of our history, and I think we should have said thank you to them. I know the boys would have put, put a few quid in, because they were just fantastic sportsmen.
0: Mm. 1972 would be quite a, a big year for the club. We lost the League Cup final against Stoke. Um, obviously, this was a bit of a bit of a pain in the backside for those that were there because I, I believe, when I was again speaking to certain people, we were actually favourites for that game. Um, did you feel at that point that this Chelsea side could have achieved more? all right, we were in the final of the League Cup. We won the FA Cup two years prior, then we won the Cup Winners' Cup. Did you think at that point that, as you said before, Chelsea should have really mounted more of a title challenge because of the players we had and what we did achieve b- beforehand? Yes, I, I think it's it's always going to be a, a great
1: talking point. It's a, great, uh, it's a very grey area, uh, the way they got rid of me and Oscar but uh, it, all the trouble started before that uh, falling out with a manager uh, and the stand was a was a big fall in our sight yeah. uh, changing them, caravan, the, them cabins and everything else and we were we were slowly going and players were losing a bit of form I lost I lost my form Charlie was losing form uh, I think there was a lot of doubt about with the management was a problem. Osgood and Dave Sexton were always, you know, on the fringe of having a tear up, you know, it was like putting Mohammed Ali in a room with Joe Frazier. These two were like, you know, they were always on the brink of having a fight and it, it didn't help. It didn't help matters. Uh, but again, you know, in in the modern game, given that that team you know with 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 not with not having the problem with a stand and we had the money if george Bessett wanted to come down then we we would have wiped the floor with anybody then mm-hmm. that would have been it and if the likes of yourself and these young kids would be walking around with chelsea shirts with best on the back mm-hmm. you know because he was the best player in the world at that time and uh, and he, I know he wanted to come because he, he, he hinted to us several times up in Manchester in his nightclub. He, you know, he loved us Chelsea boys. And, and he come down and lived down here and spent his days, last days here. And I think he wanted to come. And I, I must tell you, Keith, that I played for a man at, at Stoke City. And if Waddington was manager at Chelsea, he would have walked to Manchester to bring George down here for you Chelsea fans. You you, Chelsea fans don't know how close you were to having George Best here. And uh, and I blame, I've got to blame the management for that because you don't turn your nose up at the greatest player in the world, you know. The only problem is, weren't really needed three balls on the field at the <laughs> same
0: time. <laughs> More than likely. Before we do discuss the East End controversy, the one little side note I did want to make. Um, in 1972 as well, off the field... Chelsea released a single Blue is the colour. Um what was your memories of recording this with the Chelsea squad? And did you think that looking sort of looking back now that it would sort of still be played to this day? No, we we never give it we we,
1: we, we never <laughs> earned no money out of there, that's for sure.
0: Um
1: but I remember I would Peter Osgood threw me out of the recording studio for being too drunk. Uh, because oh. my son, my son, my son was born the day before, the night before, and uh, not a good idea. Me and a couple of friends wet my son's head. We drowned. We must have drowned him several times. And we met up the following day to do this "Blue Is the Colour, and it was it was great fun. Um, and the strangest thing was, as we were going into the studio, the Bee Gees were coming out. Wow! The Gibb brothers. The Gibb brothers. So we got to number five in the charts, and they didn't get anywhere. So that's got to tell you something.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, not a lot of people went, can say that.
1: Not a lot of people can say that. Plus the fact when I went to Stoke, uh, I said you might have won, you might have won the game, but we got higher in the charts than you with our song. They, their song was written by Tony Hatch and Jackie Trent, who were very famous at that time. Big Stoke supporters, and uh, they. Didn't get anywhere in the charts. We got to number five. Had we won the cup, we went to number one. Yeah. As you say, they're still playing it today, which uh, I think we should
0: get royalties, Keith. Yeah, I think you should. Uh, most most definitely. I think everybody that was part of that should still uh, get a bit of money from that because, as you say, it's still being played now. It's still being you know, it still gets played on cup final days and everything else. So yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Let's talk about the East Stand controversy. Obviously, you mentioned it a, a couple of times and this was, yeah, again, looking at the research that I was going through the last few days. This was whether it was the start of the downfall or this was the straw that broke the camel's back. But Chelsea being inconsistent in the league at this point in 1973 to towards uh, 1974, large amounts of money was spent on the development of the East Stand. What obviously you've told us your views on it. What was the overall mood in the squad like? And you mentioned about Peter Osgood and Dave Sexton having issues towards each other. But did did the actual development of the stand affect the morale in the squad? And what sort of what what sort of stories could you tell us on the lead up to this?
1: Well, we. I don't, I don't really. I, I, all I can say is our waveform was. You know, we we preferred to play on the road. We didn't like changing in them cabins and walking through and everything else. It was a bit of a. It it was a bad decision to to build that stadium like they did. And I think it was a it was a it was a bad decision between Dave and Brian Mears. I think. They come up with this solution to get rid of the old stand because they didn't like the bar in there. They boys drank in the bar. They wanted it, and it wasn't the time because they couldn't afford it. And when they hit, when they couldn't make payments, they they looked at me and I was good. They and they got a lot of money for both of us. I, both of us were record transfer fees. Uh, him more than me, uh, because of the goals he scores, no doubt. Um. But you just, as you found out at Chelsea, you can't replace Eden Hazard. You can't replace players like that. I don't care about Ray Wilkins coming through. I don't care. You know, Jock Finlayson was a good player uh, for Chelsea Football Club. But Peter Osgood was one of the best in the world. And and you just can't replace players like that. And then we went and lo and behold, the, the club got relegated the following year which tells a story alone. Me at Stoke, we went on to get in Europe. Osgood won the FA Cup with Southampton, which really tells a story that you can't sell your best players.
0: How did that move to Stoke come about? I mean, I know you said you you had issues with Dave Sexton along with um, Osgood. You guys were placed, uh, when I looked at it, I didn't actually realise it at the point, but you two were placed on, on the transfer list, around the Christmas time of 73 leading up to the, the next yeah. year. How did the move come about to Stoke? Was it quite a quick process that it came about or was it a drawn-out issue?
1: No, it was done It was done in a... in a, Me and Peter Osgood were sitting in our favourite restaurant in the King's Road. We were talking about... Just me and him having lunch with the, 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 the governor in there and um, we were talking about where do we want to go? We've kicked our last boy at the bridge. I still thought that he, it was a chance he would stay because he was, you know, he was the king. Uh, and then the phone rang and it was for me. And he, and Christine Matthews says, uh, Mr. Waddington wants to meet you at the Russell Hotel tonight. And, uh, I didn't, didn't know Stoke manager. I thought, no Manchester United, no Liverpool, no, you know, <laughs> Arsenal Spurs, you know, give me a break. And, uh, and nobody really wanted us. Nobody really wanted to touch us. But Tony Wadden wanted to buy us both. And uh he bought me first that night. I met him on the Friday night. And on the Saturday morning, I went to the bridge and the deal was done overnight. And uh I just picked up my boots and I was off. It, it was all done so quickly. It wouldn't happen today. It couldn't happen today. Uh You know, in them days, it would have been like, halfway through frank's career selling frank Lampard it was unthinkable you couldn't he was you just couldn't you couldn't even pick a team without him let alone sell him you know that was a, that was a kind of uh, on, on along them lines and selling osgood you just can't sell a player like that yeah. and expect young players to come in and fill his boots you know um and it was it was the worst part of the Chelsea history for five five years ten years. <clears throat> it put them back so far. Uh, and lo and behold, you know, you had a guardian angel come along. It wasn't Ken Bates. It was actually M- Matthew Harding, mm. who was the king. And uh, bless him. Uh, he will be looking down on, on all of you uh, forever. Uh, he was the one man that was going to save Chelsea Football Club. And uh, he would have kept it a family club. Uh, and, and, and Stanford Bridge would have been like the old Stanford Bridge. It would have been still buzzing. Uh, he probably would have bought the Imperial Arms as well, so to keep that the way it was. <laughs> but he was a wonderful man, and he was all that you. He was exactly the man. With this Super League going on, Matthew Harding wouldn't have signed nothing. He wouldn't have had nothing to do with that. He would have had no. There would have been no signature. He would have said, "No, we are Chelsea." He would look after the support. He was a Chelsea fan. Yeah. And uh, that's the difference. Uh, and I think um, it's just life is so strange. If only Matthew would have been about at that time, if we'd have been in Matthew's time, that little, you know, but it's all ifs and buts. Yeah. It's dreams, isn't it? We've got dreams. And I met the man, and uh, he was a wonderful man, and he would have been everything that Chelsea would have been the biggest club in the world now. Forget Europe, they would have been the biggest club in the world and it
0: would have surpassed Barcelona and Real Madrid. Just a few more questions, Alan, before we do um, complete the interview. Um, You've mentioned Dave Sexton a few times. What was your relationship like with him? What was he like as a coach? Um, And obviously, when you left, was it a case of point of no return? Was there any part of you that... You know, your friendship could, or friendship or relationship for that matter, could have sort of got better, could have sort of glued back together?
1: No, no, it could never. I, I, I see David a couple of times after that. And the the, the 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 sad, saddest thing about this whole thing that Chelsea supporters don't really know, and this is why your podcast is so good, Is because it brings you together. Uh, it was such a nice man. He was such a he was such a terrific bloke, and there was no dislike or hatred or anything. That it was just his way, the way that he was. He was caught. He was a church goer. He didn't drink. He didn't, and he expected everybody to kind of be along his lines, you know. And it couldn't happen. It was the time. It was the times. It was the sixties, and it it was the, the life along this King's Road was incredible. And he couldn't he couldn't seem to come halfway with us he he couldn't meet us halfway and say look do it a bit my way and i can understand where he wanted it done all his way and uh he was very stubborn about it he was a he was a frustrated footballer really because he got he was at west ham he got a bad knee injury and i think he put himself in our position and thought I want to be a footballer and all you want to do is go out and enjoy yourself. You know, he was, that was the problem with Dave, but he was such a nice man. And, uh, years later, uh, you know, whenever I see him, it was a joy, you know, there was no bad feeling or, because as it turned out, it was the best thing that ever happened to my life because I met Waddington. And, uh, and I realized when I met Waddington, what management was all about, you know, um, and I knew, really, the prime is, instead of selling me and Osgood, he should have sent Dave Sexton to Stoke and brought Waddington down here. And then we would have been a team. Uh, but that's my way of thinking because we didn't want to go. We didn't want to go. One day we we're playing against West Ham down here. We're 2 nil up. They come out the second half. They score four breakaways and me and Osgood got the blame for it. And that's when I knew that something was amiss. Because you've got to blame the defenders for goals going in, not the forwards. And I think even, you know, even the man on the terrace
0: could tell you that. It's got to be the defender's fault. Not many people may know this, but you actually returned to the club in 1983 for one year. You didn't play for Chelsea at that period, but how did that move come about? You came from America at that point. Uh
1: I had a bad, I had a fantastic four seasons with Seattle Sanders and I love the, the America, I love the country. So I left Arsenal in a bad, under bad circumstances. Uh, problem with a manager again, I, it's not awake <laughs> you know. There seems to be uh, a pattern forming here, Alan. Well, no, that's why I say Waddington, <laughs> I'm oh, fantastic with Waddington. I, I didn't get on with Revy, I didn't get on with Ramsey, I didn't get on with Terry Neal. I didn't fall out with Dave Sexton. It was just his way of, it was a financial thing. Uh, And I came back from Seattle and while I was in Seattle, I wanted to come back to Chelsea and play out of season. And I wanted to take a couple of Chelsea players back with me to play out of your season. I I wanted Mickey Dry to come play for us and I wanted Dave Speedy. They were the two players I wanted to take over there If I come over here, and uh, it never came about. Um, And the following year, when I left Seattle, I was living in the same place where I am now—not this flat that's with my mother—and I was still had a lot left in me. And I, I, I spoke to Danny Blanchflower. He was going to sign me, and the night he was going to sign me, he got the sack. (laughs) That was bad timing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was a Chelsea player again, and then I wasn't again, and then all of a sudden, Ken Bates actually signed me. John Neal never signed me. Ken Bates signed me. I think he seen me training in Abersock, uh one day, and he he liked the way I trained. He liked my he, he liked my attitude. He knew that I didn't want to come back just to mess around, you know. He seen that I trained properly. He was along the beach one day in Abercyn, and he uh, in not Aberystwyth, and. Uh, he knew that I wouldn't, because he called me in the office after the day after when we got back from Wales, and he called me and he said, I'm going to sign you, and I couldn't work it out how he changed. John Neal didn't know anything about this. He just signed me. He said, uh, I wish you well. And uh, I, I I wasn't a great lover of most of his motives, but I must say when he signed me, he was good, and when I left, he was good. Uh, and there was no gold duggery about it, unlike today. Uh, yeah, he does, he did what was best for Chelsea Football Club mm. and himself, obviously. But, um, he he signed me, so it was the only time I'd ever been signed by a director
0: or a chairman or an owner. Mm. Interesting. We'll touch on today's football. Um, we might. Sort of briefly touch the Super League, maybe, but another another controversial aspect of the modern day football is VAR. Now, I've asked all my player guests uh, their thoughts on it. Pretty much everyone's been unanimous with their um, decision. So, Mister Hudson, what's your thoughts on VAR?
1: I think it was um, I think it was badly needed uh, because the officials weren't good enough. I think we I think it's badly needed. I think we do need VAR but we need it to be run properly. Uh it isn't run properly. It's it's been used as another excuse for referees and linesmen. I don't understand what I don't understand is how they ask uh they ask them to make a decision and then they ask the referee to go and look at the monitor. Now how it should be done is for him to look at the monitor first, and if he can't make a decision, then to ask them. And that's logic. That is common sense. After everything they do, well, mostly everything they do is just not common sense. It's they've made a mockery of the VAR when it should be exactly what we needed because the officials are not good enough. They they they, they don't know about football. They're not sure about what's a tackle because. They're allowing people to pull shirts. In our day, nobody pulled a shirt. If somebody went down, they were hurt. If Ron Harris tackled somebody, they were hurt. They wouldn't, they didn't get their shirt tugged. Uh, so, yeah. So I agree with everybody that's been on. It, they, they've made a mockery
0: of the VAR. It should be wiped. It should be ran properly or not at all. Agreed. Again, talk about the uh, Super League that's made the headlines, but. Um, Alan, you've t- touched on uh, Frank Lampard and Chelsea this season. What have been your thoughts on how Chelsea have performed this season? And you know, with the FA Cup final coming up, European Cup uh, against tie against Real Madrid, excuse me. What's been your thoughts on the overall sort of season for Chelsea Football Club? Well, I thought I, I know Frank very well. I know his father
1: very, very well. I was brought up with his dad. Uh, played in the under 23s with him, so I know, and I know Harry, his uncle, very, very well. I know Frank. I like Frank. He's a great, he's a great person. I love him to death. He's a great kid. He's a great character. What he done at Chelsea was incredible. Goals from midfield, incredible. Uh, and I thought he was going to be a great manager. I thought he'd be there forever. Um, but it, obviously, the history with him and a couple of players having played together was probably what he's undoing. Uh, because as he's proved, you know, there was new fellas come in and he's wiped the slate clean. And having not been in the dressing room with them players before, I knew nothing about them. And uh, and that's always, you know, it's always beneficial to uh, Thomas Tuchel. Uh, whereas I think it was a, it was a, it was, a, it was uh, it wasn't in the favour of frank and i could see certain players were not happy with when he went for the when he went for the young kids he he would upset a few of the older players and i think that was i don't know if he had a meeting or he lost the dressing room and uh i don't know how because I've never known a manager who, who had such a club in his heart like Frank had Chelsea Football Club in his heart. So he was doing all the right things, but as my manager Tony Waddington, once told me, he said, "Alan, after he signed me, he said you're doing everything right, but in the wrong order." <laughs> and he was right. He was right. He said you're doing you're doing everything right. He said because I love all the things you do. He said, but get them done in the right order, and that's what Frank did. He didn't get he didn't get it done in the right order. He was doing everything right. They were bringing the kids through was brilliant. This this young Mount looks like a player. And the more I see him, the more he looks like a player. The only mistake I think he made a mistake with Tamori. I wouldn't have let Tamori go. Uh, I agree with that. I love. Uh, I think Rhys James, if he continues to improve, he could be the best fullback Chelsea've ever had. You know these kind of things. Frank has brought in. To fruition you know and uh he must be crying his eyes out when he sees them making great strides you know because he wanted to be a part of that and there would be no nasty feeling on Frank's side he would wish him well and uh it's just a sad sad day for Frank because I know his feelings he has for the club and the Super League I'm, I'm sure if you had any say in the Super League he would he would put the pack he would put the fans first and
0: he would say, no, we're we're not having it, you know. As it is in the headlines, we will touch on it. Your thoughts on the Super League and obviously what occurred at Stamford Bridge yesterday with the protests and then subsequently all six English clubs deciding they don't want to be part of it no more. What were your thoughts on this crazy idea? I I watched um, Graham Sooner, so I love.
1: I watched Gary Neville, who was terrific last night. Every word that came out of his mouth was spot on. He hit it, the nail on the head. Bang. Where, where He learned that off of Ferguson. It's like Alex Ferguson talking last night. He wouldn't have stood for this. Um, but what annoys me, what nobody's touched on, is why did they sign these contracts in the first place? If they had no, if, they, if they're going to pull out, why sign them in the first place? So they had an intention of doing it. It's like you and I going to a football. You, you and I going to a football club, signing a contract, and then turn around and say, "Oh, we don't want to sign for you." Why sign in the first? So that's there's that grey area. Why did they sign it? Why did Bruce Buck sign that, or whoever did? They shouldn't have signed it. Uh, and then this wouldn't have come about. It wouldn't have been a big issue. They should have, as Graham Saunders says, they it's all been deceit. They've been deceitful. They they've lied, and. Uh, if you've got eleven players or twenty players in a dressing room are deceitful and liars and you don't trust them, then you you're not gonna get anywhere. That's right. And that's what the directors have done. They've signed the contracts because they've they've done it for money. Greed. And there's enough money in the game for
0: everybody nowadays, so they don't have to be greedy. Superb answer, Alan. I completely concur with that. Final question on for me, what's been a fantastic interview. Um, and thanks very much for your time. So final question, Alan, how do you look back on your career at Chelsea Football Club?
1: Um, I must say, I, I still live in Chelsea and uh, I'm quite proud to be the most local player <laughs> ever to play for them. And I'm quite proud of what... I'm more proud about having this medal around my neck for those times, for my teammates... I still see Johnny Boyle, Tommy Baldwin. I love Marvin Hinton, John Dempsey. I love all them lads. They really are like family to me. I love them really deeply. And uh, it was just the great, the greatest time to play for Chelsea. Though you know, if we had, a, I'm sure if we'd have had the, the money they're earning today, it would have been the time, the actual. We'd have all been. I don't know. It would have been like Hollywood. It was um, it was a it was the best time. The swinging sixties and early seventies was the best times. To play for Chelsea was something I never. I wanted to play for Fulham. My dad came from Fulham, so that didn't come about. Even when I was playing for Chelsea, I was a Fulham supporter. But I loved them boys I played with, and I loved I loved following Jimmy Greaves. Uh, uh, every time I saw Jimmy Greaves, I said I got your I had your number eight shirt. So you know. And he's a great man, and to to be able to follow players like that in the history of Chelsea Football Club is quite something. We go we go into the pubs and we talk and people say, Oh, you play for Chelsea? He said, Yeah, I wore the same shirt as Jimmy Greaves, And Frank Lamp- Lampard wore the same shirt as me. So there's a great there's a great history at Chelsea Football Club, and uh that was that's that's the one thing I I cherish the times that we had together. And the fans for those fans that think that Alan Hudson uh was out of order when I left, I wasn't. I never wanted to go the same as Osgood never wanted to go. We were forced out for money. And uh life goes on, it's like a marriage. You move on and you meet somebody else. Uh your wife leaves you, you get another woman, uh, if you want one. But um my my times my times at Stanford Bridge, uh from 1970 to even the League Cup final, I remember being broken-eyed when we lost to Stoke, not realising that was where I was going to end up. Um, they were just wonderful times. We, you know, the, the League Cup semi-final at Tottenham when we beat Tottenham, and I got the winner in the last minute. My great friend Chrissy Garland scored the first goal, a magnificent goal. There were great times, great times, and, and no one can ever take that away. They can take your money, but they can't take that.
0: That's me. Brilliant. Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Blue Day podcast. And, and just one final little quick one. You have a podcast of, of your own. It's called The Alan Hudson Podcast. You've done a few episodes uh, so far. Just sort of quickly, plug it if you can. And
1: Well, I'm done. we're trying to build it up. A friend of mine, Tony Jimenez, and I are, are doing it. We've had Harry Redknapp on. We've had a few good, few good faces on. Stevie Perriman of... Someone i played against in the Chelsea youth team, Spurs youth team. Great lad. Love him as a person. Uh, We get the Chelsea boys on when we can. We've had Johnny Boyle on. He'll be on. Tommy Langley's coming on. Great friend. Paul Elliott, the great Paul Elliott. I love Paul Elliott. You know, so we're going to do a mixture. We're going to have Glenn Odell on pretty soon. Um, Fantastic. So we want to build it up. We're in the stages of building it up. I don't know how far we go. Uh, I started it with Don Shanks, my old friend from Queen's Park Rangers. Uh mates with Stan Bowles, who's sadly got dementia. And we lost Frank Frank got Frank the great Frank Werberton got uh cremated Friday and I, uh his wife kindly sent that down me. I shed a tear yesterday. Um so yeah, we're uh, Don Shanks is in Egypt and uh, me and him, it was me and his idea and, and we're trying to carry it forward. So anytime you want to come on, you're very welcome to come on with your shirt on as well.
0: Uh, no doubt. Absolutely. Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Blue Day podcast. Take care and hopefully we'll see you down the road. Thank you very much, Keith. No problem. It's
1: my pleasure. has been a great pleasure. Thank you. Podcast
0: Network. Bueno, nos vamos. Aquí tiene su cuenta. Espere, ¿10 mil dólares? Así es: las cervezas, hamburguesas, salitas, postre, la multa por conducir borracho a casa, licencia suspendida, días de cárcel, días de trabajo perdidos. Ya sabe, todo lo que involucra obtener un DUI. Bueno, y lo que quiera dejar de propina. No pagues el precio de tomar y manejar. Te puede salir caro. Maneja tomado y serás arrestado. Un mensaje de Netza.